This week on the Kuma Flex, we have a special guest co-host, Deanna Brousseau. As Shelly is away, how many times will we see Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl? Google job ads dead before it was even born. Plus, sometimes not recruiting is the best recruiting. Kira with my dad and Deanna starts right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly is pretending to work in Toronto, so I brought in a very special guest co-host, Deanna Brusso. How are you, Deanna? Serge, I am good. It is good to be back. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to Shelly for being away. This, this is amazing. So hopefully I fill those big shoes. I don't think it's going to be that hard, Deanna. I think it's pretty easy. Just follow along. That's what Shelly does. Just like. <laughs> oh, I see. I see it. Okay. You've been on the show before, but a lot of our listeners might not know who you are. Do you mind giving us a little bit of a bio of who you are? For sure. Yes, I am Deanna Brousseau. I am currently the director of people and talent at a tech startup called Alta ML. We provide AI solutions across various industries. So we have a big team of machine learning developers. AI is the name of the game with us. So uh, it's been really exciting. I, I do more than just the recruitment end. I also do the people leadership side of the business too, and ensuring that folks are happy from start to finish uh, when they're here with us at Alta ML. So that's just a little bit about me. And I also love TikTok, funny videos. I love LinkedIn. It's great. And you know what? I'm still disappointed in you because you haven't been doing enough videos because you had some really clever one. <laughs> what, what's going on? Are you too busy at work? I know. You know, things have been super busy in a good way. But I also feel like I might be going through a little bit of that writer's block, if you will, a creative block. And so I need to be inspired again and then just create some more content because I realized that too. I'm like, it's been a minute since I've produced a funny little video here. So maybe, Serge, you will reignite my creativity and then I'll make you happy again. That's the goal. That's the goal. Yes. So you are a known Swifty, and I'm very curious to know if you are going to watch the Super Bowl. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I am there to watch Taylor Swift. <laughs> will you be watching? Oh, I will be watching. I am predicting that Kansas City will win. My prediction is 34 to 28. And I have an under over of how many times they're going to cut away to Taylor Swift. And my prediction is 12. I, it's probably going to be way over. If I was the NFL, I would have Taylor on pretty much 50% of the time. If there's not a play going on, it's just pan to Taylor. Because honestly, like a question for you, did you watch football before this? No, I watched last year's Super Bowl because it was the Rihanna concert. So I was more interested in oh. the Rihanna show versus the actual Super Bowl. So uh, yeah, if I were them, I would do a split screen the entire time. So Taylor and her suites and all of her celebrity friends on one side and then the other side, the game. Okay, imagine just it would make everybody happy all at once. So that you just have a split screen. We're good to go. I do think we were talking about this in the green room that this is the end game for Taylor. She will get married to Travis Kelsey. Another prediction. If they win, he proposes to her 
on the field. Can you imagine that? That would break the internet. I heard that. I heard a lot of whispers of what if he does that? I'm pretty sure he will not do that. Even though that would be amazing. I don't think he would. My prediction is when, it's not if, when they do get engaged, it'll be something super private. And then they'll do some sort of announcement, like how Taylor does her announcements for new albums. It's just, it's going to be out of nowhere when you least expect it. And maybe they've been engaged for months. And then all of a sudden it's like, we're now married. And there you go. So I think that's how they're going to play this off. I hope you're wrong because I would love to see it live. I'm also excited to see Usher. I grew up in the 90s, right? And Usher was just, Usher was the man in the 90s. So it's going to be a concert that I'm quite excited for. But we should jump into the news. And there is a lot of interesting news this weekend. Probably the biggest one and the one that's made a lot of recruitment marketers panic in the last week is the rumor that came out that Google job ads, not to be confused with Google for jobs, is not going to get out of alpha testing. So in 2016, Google launched Google for jobs, which is basically aggregating all the jobs on the internet in one platform. It shows up as a widget on top of your search results and you can go look for jobs. Overall, it's done okay, but there's been some issues with shady aggregators, bad jobs. It's just really hard to aggregate the internet of how many jobs out there. Then you've got questions, are these jobs live? But when it was originally launched, I think a lot of people were really excited because they saw an alternative to the monopoly of Indeed and ZipRecruiter, but they never really monetized it until the rumor came out March 2023 that they were doing alpha testing on a product called Google Job Ads. And this was mostly done with large ad agencies in the U.S., I'll tell you, you got a lot of people excited because it's like Google is finally monetizing this and there's finally going to be real competition to Indeed. Last week was not a good news for recruitment marketers because it all started with a rumor on LinkedIn. A lady at Recruitix basically shared that after the alpha experience, they're going to be shutting it down. It looks like it'll be shut down in the next couple of weeks, officially at the end of March. It died before it even really got off the ground. And for context, we never had Google job ads here in Canada. It was really never tested, was never experienced, but we saw it in the US. What's your first thoughts around Google for jobs when you're thinking about advertising your jobs across the internet? To be honest, everybody goes to Google for everything. So I do think it's a genius idea. It makes sense. However, it's not an idea where I'm like, oh, that is so innovative. And wow, why hasn't anybody thought of that before? (laughs) No, no shit. Absolutely. They would go and build that. It doesn't excite me because again, I just keep thinking about the Indeeds of the world, the Glassdoors of the world, ZipRecruiter. And it's just what's sexy about it. I don't know. I'm not surprised that they try to build something. And then again, it's like, oh, We're just going to shelf that now. And thanks, but no thanks, because they've been known to do that. But do they need to do it? I don't think so. And again, what's different about it? I love that perspective. And I agree looking at there's really nothing innovative. The only advantage is you have an audience that is coming to Google to start their search. And most searches, even job searches, start from Mm -hmm. Google. So what a great way to capitalize on that. But they never figured it out. And I don't know. I don't think Google for jobs itself will go away in the near future, but I don't see a path to monetization 
any time in the near future. And then like a lot of people will ask like, well, why didn't it work? And it's a tough one. If you look at Google's core business, which is search, it's under such intense pressure with AI, right? Like is the business model of search the way it is now? Will it even exist five years from now? And we're talking about like hundreds of billions that Google makes off this search business. Mm. The other aspect that I thought was, what's the upside? If they get it rolling and it's killing it, a billion dollars, two billion dollars, which for us, me and you, is a whole lot of money. Yeah. But I just don't think it is for Google. No, I think it's another day. It's another Tuesday. Yeah. For you, what are your main sources of candidates right now? Honestly, number one is LinkedIn. I think because we hire so really? much. And yeah. Uh, and we also don't hire in mass quantities, right? Like I think a place mm. like Indeed, job aggregators make sense if you're in construction or oil and gas and you're looking for like mass amounts of folks. But we literally are looking for one person in this niche market times seven. If yeah. you will. And that's when we source. Yeah, sure. We post to get traction, but it's more of like the marketing sell of it. We don't necessarily post for applications. We already have that pipeline going. And then we source passive candidates through LinkedIn Recruiter. And that's been a really successful model for us thus far. So that's our ride or die. And again, maybe that's not the best practice. Maybe I should put all my eggs in one basket, explore more. And, and again, as these AI products evolve, we will explore those because that is our business model. And we need to understand what's out there. And I can't wait to see a competitor of LinkedIn. Like, are we always just going to be stuck to LinkedIn? It's not cheap. And the service, what we get out of it, is it really worth what we're investing? And I think a lot of recruiters yeah. and organizations would agree. Uh, but I would get excited for something that is a competitor of LinkedIn that has more AI capabilities, but is less expensive. Yeah, there's tools out there that leverage the LinkedIn database, like Seek Out and yeah. Find Them. There's there's a couple, but there's no guarantee on those, as we've seen with some recent changes with LinkedIn and what they allow to go public. It's really tough to use external tools. And I agree with you. I've had many dealings with LinkedIn in the past, and they're definitely very similar to Indeed in some ways that... You are so lucky to even have some time with them and you're so lucky to be their customer. There's definitely a level of arrogance that we don't see with most other providers. But I'm curious for you as far as like looking at AI tools, right? I've been to many of these HR tech conference and shows and there is literally AI over and over again, and most of it is snake oil. How do you look at AI tools and what is real and what's not? I think for me, I have to look at it from a business lens in terms of how it's going to affect our organization more from a responsible AI viewpoint. I think a lot of these tools, sure, they say they'll solve all your problems, increase productivity, but what access do they need uh, in order to actually help you? And ensuring that it's responsibly done. And there's a whole bunch of compliance issues as well. So we fiddled around with a few tools. And, and again, I forget all of their names already because it, there was just so many when it first came out. But it was like, it became more of a hindrance than an actual help. Like it was just like an annoying tool bot that was there. And it was like, I know that already. Like, why are you 
pointing this out. And even LinkedIn now has like the AI help on the recruiter side where it'll help you reach out to candidates. But I don't like what they're putting in front. They're like, use this paragraph. And it sounds like a bot. So I guess the long story short is, is it legit? Who's creating it? And the ethics and responsibility around it, it either has to be able to open doors, remove biases, not add biases, etc. I don't know if you've read the algorithm. We have Hilke, the author, coming on the show in the next couple of weeks. But I recommend you read that book because it talks a lot about the bias in these tools and how to differentiate what is snake oil and what is real. And it's really tough for the average practitioner. It really is. It's almost impossible right now. All right, let's jump into the next news item. So there was a recent article, uh, CBC News, that kind of shocked me. So... Basically, the report came out that right now there is 4 million Canadians that have a criminal record. So to give you context, if you're in the U.S., our population is 40 million. 10% of our population has a criminal record. It's a pretty big talent pool in itself, right? So a couple of key stats that came out, they did a survey with 400 hiring managers for the John Howard Society of Ontario It definitely highlighted a lot of barriers to hiring, a lot of biases that we do have. And if you think right now in Canada, the latest that I looked at, we have 700,000 open jobs. And I know there's a skill mismatch, right? But it starts to question, if you are struggling to find talent, why are you not looking at those labor pool? And the first thing I would think is... Well, there's risk. There's potentially risk. Mm -hmm. They would re-offend. There's a risk of trust. But there is interesting data out of the U.S. that actually shows completely the opposite. People with a criminal past have lower job turnover, equal or better performance, and no higher risk of workplace misconduct. So, Deanna, what's your thoughts around this? Did this shock you? Did you think this number was this big? Oh my gosh, it shocked me for sure. I I had no idea. And again, I think we're in such a bubble in the tech market. And truth be told, we haven't come across anybody yet that we've hired that has a criminal record. I have seen in the past, though, however, when I've worked in oil and gas and other industries, we have had candidates um, that have records. I think my viewpoint on this, and again, from the U.S. studies is, you know, why not? I think the gap that employers are facing is the education behind what's been done since, right? So let's say somebody does have a record, they serve time or what have you. What did they do during that time? What has changed since then? Because I do believe people do change. Uh, I do believe that there's a lot of systemic barriers and things like that that people face and they're put into the situations where, you know, that's the cards are dealt. And so it's really for us to understand what programs are in place at these institutions and what is the offboarding, if you will, of when they do exit and now they're able to look for work again? What does that look like? And there's various mm-hmm. levels of incrimination, right? For instance, if there's somebody with, let's say, a DUI record, okay, that will show up and that'll be a cause for concern. I'm sure for everybody, like, oh, they had a DUI back in 2007 or whatever. It would show up. Yeah. Then as the employer, it's like, what does that mean? So. If we're hiring a machine learning developer and it's hybrid or it's remote and they're not a service driver, does that even really matter? And again, I think we have to look at what it was. If you're in a financial industry and somebody robbed a bank and then they're applying to a bank, okay, sure, maybe that's something that 
maybe we don't want to risk that because they know people, there's networks, but you just have to see like, what are you hiring for? What can you live with? And I've hired folks, previous industries that have had records like that. No issues. Very strong performers. They learned a lot from that incident. They talk openly about that incident um, and we learn a lot from it. So I think there's a lot to gain from giving those folks a chance. There's a couple of things and it comes to resilience, the ability to turn around their life. And a lot of times, like we all make mistakes. And I, I can only imagine when I was younger, if I would have been caught with several things, I might not be in the position <laughs> that I am now, right? So I feel a lot of sympathy and empathy for a lot of these people that are struggling because we do need them in the labor pool. And I agree. I think what you've done should be a consideration, right? Like yes. obviously the cases that you showed, I wouldn't hire someone with financial fraud to work at a bank. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But could that person work as linesman for the power company, something like that? There's plenty right. of opportunities out there. It's just a messy past doesn't define who you are in the future. You know, a lot of roles, women are known not to apply if they're not fully qualified. Do a lot of ex, I guess, felons not apply to roles because they don't want to go through that because it's embarrassing, right? Like you're applying for a job, you go through the process and then suddenly they do a background check. It comes back, you know, it's going to come up and you have to explain it. You're excited that you're getting the job. Then you have the anxiety that, oh, am I going to pass a criminal? Like, are they going to come back? I think it, it stops a lot of these people even applying for jobs in a normal way that you and I would go and apply for a job online. 100%. I agree. And I think a lot of these people are maybe taking jobs under the table because of that. Like they still have bills to pay mm. and whatnot, but they're just so afraid of how the world's going to perceive them. I can't speak on their behalf, obviously, but I would assume that's holding them back. And then that's keeping us as employers away from this untapped market that could absolutely kill it. What did they learn during their time? Who did they meet? What strategies did they develop that like we wouldn't in our normal day to day, comfy, cozy type of lives? I would encourage them just as other underrepresented groups, females, et cetera, go for it. And there's been people that have openly disclosed their criminal past during the first call because you can tell it's on their mind. And they get it off right yeah. away. They go, okay, before I move any further, I just have to disclose yeah. I have XYZ from XYZ. And I will stop them if they're divulging too much because I don't need to know all the details. But thank you for disclosing. We'll get back to you. And most cases, it's a non-issue. But I do feel like they just need to sort of bring that to the table before they even are formally considered. Because again, like you said, it can be very awkward when that check comes back and and then we have questions, right? So. Yes. So I guess the advice here for anyone, there is a large untapped labor pool here in Canada. So if you're recruiting and are having challenges, I think you need to open up your eyes and definitely take a look at that labor pool. So Deanna, I want to jump into tip of the week. And usually Shelly does the tip of the week every week. So you get the pleasure to hear me do it. Your tip of the week is brought to you by Plum. Plum knows that when people flourish, business thrives. Using science back insight, Plum aligns human potential with job needs, allowing you to build high-performing teams from a single platform, ideal for improving hiring choices, identifying future leaders, and offering personalized career advice. Plum supports the entire employee journey from hire to retire. Discover more at Plum.io. I love the folks at Plum, so thank you. 
My tip of the week, Deanna, is let's put this in two perspectives. You're a recruiter, you're looking at your own organization, or you're applying for a job. And you want to know, is this prospective workplace toxic? First thing you have to look at, and I'll tell you, this is most companies, <laughs> a bad interview process. There's a red flag. If you have to go through several interviews, you don't get any communications between the interviews. They go a month. You don't get feedback. Communication is bad in the hiring process. It probably means it's bad throughout the organization. So that's mm-hmm. the number one thing. Look at the interview process. And if you're getting red flags, yeah, you should probably walk away. If you are a recruiter and this is your process, just for you to know, that's probably a red flag for those candidates that are applying for your job. So maybe it's time to look at fixing that. The second step is what current employees say and don't say. When you're interviewing or talk to people that work there, I think there is some value in trying to read between the lines, what they say and what they really mean, right? There's a couple of things like, hmm. Sure, the team is small, but there's a huge opportunity to really drive and own things and make an impact. That might not be a bad thing, but it shows you if you're not comfortable working in a very independent type of workplace, it's just not going to be for you, right? Remember, as a job seeker, they're also looking, is this a fit for me as much as it is for the company? So make sure you're asking those questions and you're really trying to read between those lines. Oh, the one that scares me the most is when you see a lot of job ads. That could be a good thing, right? Like you're seeing a lot of job ads. You think, oh my God, they're growing. But then when you start digging in deeper, these are replacement roles. There's a huge turnover, a lot of people leaving, not a lot of people coming in. I think that would be the number one red flag. And if you're a recruiter, my God, that is a challenge, right? Because have you ever tried to explain that to a potential candidate? Be like, why is everyone leaving? Then you're trying to bullshit your way out of it. So they hate it here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you ever, I'm sure all your process and everything at AltoML is amazing, but in your career, have you had this challenge when you're applying for jobs that you see these red flags, but you still keep on going? You still go through the process, then end up working there and realize, oh, I made a horrible mistake. Mm hmm. Yeah, from the candidate side, I've been there before. I think I was more enamored with that shiny carrot, right? And this company, yeah. you know, they, they're they so sexy and they're new. And the interview process, as I look back, had many red flags. There is many steps. There's about 10 steps. And there are so many different people I was meeting. And even the people I was meeting, very different personalities. But the pattern was they weren't the nicest people baby. And I thought, oh, that's okay. They're just pros. They're SMEs. They're very professional and that's fine. But oh my gosh, once I was there, it was like, no. Okay. So my spidey senses were right. It's like what they say, what they don't say, how many steps. Yeah. I've been on that other side where it just wasn't what it was cooked up to be. Perfect. Let's jump into the recruiting insights and recruiting insights brought to you by Metova. Shelly, are you tired of the same old outsourcing woes? Well, say hello to nearshoring. It's like outsourcing, but closer, and it won't make you pull your hair out. Picture this, top-notch IT talent from Latin America. Many Latin American IT professionals have strong English language skills and even live in the same time zone, so no more midnight conference calls. Hallelujah. 
plus Latin America's growing tech ecosystem, strong educational institutions, and a pool of skilled IT professionals make it the perfect region for recruiting talent. I have the perfect company that does this. The company's name is Matova. They have local experts who handle everything from recruiting to HR support. So why settle for the same old outsourcing blues when you can have the nearshoring party with Matova? Look them up at Matova.com and let's get the fiesta started. So Deanna, there's very few times that I see something and I'm like, why did I not think about that? And one of the things that we are talking about this week was a research done by a company called Arctic Shores. And basically what they put together is the ultimate guide to candidates how to use generative AI. And basically what it goes through is, should you set guidelines and communicate what are the expectations from a company side of a candidate that's applying for your job, how they can leverage tools like ChatGPT? And I'm like, that is brilliant. Like, why haven't we thought of that? Because to stick our head in the sand and think that people are not using Gen AI and the application <laughs> process and even throughout the interview process, are we crazy? Like, of course they are. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, before I go any further, in your experience, are you noticing applications that are definitely built with a Gen AI tool, cover letters? You do a lot of your interviews remotely, correct? Has that been a challenge where ChatGPT is getting the dictation and giving the answers? Any examples on your end? Oh my gosh, 100% from an application perspective, like the number of cover letters has increased tenfold, right? I think prior to ChatGPT, there was a war on cover letters, like nobody wanted to do them. And even I myself, I'm like, yeah, I don't spend time reading. Just give me a resume. That's good enough. But now, oh my gosh, these beautiful written cover letters are coming through and no doubt they've been assisted through gen ai i think it's great people should experiment especially if you're applying at an ai organization yeah you should know the tool and you should use it in, and know how to prompt it correctly uh, during the interview processes so yes we do them virtually uh, i have not yet come across an interview where it's clearly evident that the candidate is using ChatGPT or any other tool to give them the responses. Like there's not that pause and then like they're yeah. through, thank goodness. Or maybe they are and they're just very good and they're getting past me. But I do feel like they're much more prepared, which is great. I think a lot of them are using it as a tool to prep for interviews. I'm hearing a lot of folks using it for like, they'll just copy and paste the job posting and then ask ChatGPT, okay, what questions am I going to be asked in the first interview? And then they prep. So yeah. they are coming ready. And I think it's just being able to probe more and throw them off a bit. And even from the recruitment side is do that yourself and then ask different questions. Like make sure you're not asking all those questions because the candidate's going to already know that. But again, it's we are encouraged to use ChatGPT at work all the time. It's a tool that yeah. is allowing us to be more productive, to help us with efficiencies. And so why can't candidates do the same? Do it. But be smart with it. And I think... Like you said, sir, we haven't even thought of putting the do's and don'ts of applicants of, okay, this is mm. how ChatGPT could help you. And here's how it can make you look like a fool. <laughs> we probably yep. should do that as well. And so this is brilliant. And I think we'll look to implement that on our website. But we also love to leave an area of ambiguity. It's great for employers to see what candidates do with it without the rules. So how will this person actually mm. just apply it? Because in our workspace, at least, we don't have the rules like 
even for entry-level jobs here, we don't have strict onboarding of here's what your day is going to look like. You're going to do A, B, C. You come in and you have to figure it out for yourself. Do we want to handhold a lot? And here's how you should apply. Here's what you should include. There has to be a balance because we want to see how candidates thrive with little instruction and little information. I I think you're a little bit unique working for an AI company, but that is such a great point. But right now, this research shows that 7 in 10 candidates are planning to use Gen AI to complete applications and assessments in the coming months. Talent acquisition teams for the last year, I would say the last six months, have been feeling this. And there's obviously tools out there that can get you to apply for a thousand jobs within a day, right? And that is just creating a ton of noise which is not helping anyone at all, right? If you're a recruiter, especially that recruiters have been laid off and you're now dealing with a thousand applicants for a job, like there's no way you're getting to everyone. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. And the biggest thing is like, how do we get to a place of high quality applicants? So we're going through the process. Resume looks great. Then they come in the first interview. It's obvious they don't know what they're talking about. And that is a waste of your time. And it's a waste of my time. I get where you're coming from, where, hey, let's give them a little bit of leeway. But you got to know what the job is and actually having the skill to do the job. I don't know if this has been the last five, 10 years, but a lot of us are a little bit overconfident in what we can actually do and not do. And usually if someone is overconfident they can do the job, probably sign they can't. But going back to this AI and potentially giving like tools or directions or guidance, here is the key things. I won't go through all of them. I'll put the report in our show notes, but I'll go through a couple of ones. Here is what they suggested. So written applications. Do use Gen AI to structure, articulate, and proofread thoughts. Utilize Gen AI to refine ideas and bring them to life more clearly or creatively. Don't. Create imaginary thoughts and experiences. Use Gen.I to generate responses without personalization. So really good example of what you just said, right? This is very clear of how you should use it. A lot of it is just common sense. But you are working in an AI company and there's a lot of roles that maybe they don't have as much common sense. And I don't mean that as negative. They just haven't worked as many jobs. They see this tool and they're just leveraging it without doing any edits or any changes to it. Similar advice for assessments, similar advice for interviews. So overall, for everyone listening, I think there is value potentially, if it's the right fit for organization, to create some guidance of what is accepted using Gen AI in the interview and hiring process. Yeah, I would agree. Having that framework of it's okay to do some prep before you come into the interview. Just use it wisely. Educate yourself on what it is. You'd be surprised at how many folks apply to an AI company not really understanding what generative AI is, the implications of it. So yes, we love to see it and we'd love to see how people use it. We'll even ask questions during interviews on like, how would you prompt ChatGPT in this situation or what prompts would you ask? Yeah. Just to test people on the spot of if they've used it before. We are going to see the effects of Gen AI in 2024. We're already starting to see it, but last year was where everyone was trying to figure it out. This year, a lot of people have figured it out, but it's moving so quickly. So we're going to have to stay on our toes as recruiters for sure. 
And talking about staying on our toes, I want to talk about a recent article that I read. And this has been on my mind because you work for a tech company, you're in the tech sector, and the tech sector has been very notorious in the last year of doing layoffs and the CEO coming on and saying, it's my mistake, I overhired. And that raises the question, first of all, can we measure how to workforce plan and how many people we actually need? There's a great book that was released in 2018 called Bullshit Jobs. I don't know if you've ever read it or seen it, but uh, I recommend everyone to get it because it talks about 30% of the jobs in North America are bullshit. Like there'd be no difference if someone's in that role or not in that role. And I thought it was fascinating because I see it. I see it in large corporations, especially. It's really hard in smaller companies to hide and have a bullshit job, but in large organizations, it's fairly common. So putting all of that in context, are we doing the right thing by not questioning our business leaders of, do you need to hire this? And as a recruiter, that's a challenge because that's our job, right? It's our job to recruit and and, and, we, we and pushing to. back and being like, are you sure you need this? I don't think a lot of recruiters will do that. No, I, I don't. What's your either. thought here? Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I think recruiters are now going to have to wear more of a business partner hat where how can they, yeah. in terms of the current workforce and helping to grow and enable those folks within the organization, helping the leaders workforce plan, helping the leaders manage their resources versus just always going externally to market and recruiting. Recruiters are going to have to add that competitive edge to their services of just headhunting and filling roles, et cetera. Yeah. Um, looking out for the bottom line of the business. And I think any business leader who partners with a recruiter who's concerned about their bottom line and their future will be like, thank you. This is great. And I, I want to work yeah. with you. And again, it's about being smart and is recruiting always the answer? It's hard for recruiters who literally, that is how they pay their bills yeah. is the commission from landing. But how can we make space for them to add more value in different ways and maybe be compensated in yeah. different ways? I I think it's a challenge, right? And I'm not 100% sure it's fair to ask a recruiter being like, hey, push back on the hiring manager, depending on how senior that person is, how knowledgeable. But this is where talent leaders need to come in and really step up and work on that workforce plan and make sure that this role is functional for now, but also for the future. Obviously, we're in a world that you can't go too far ahead, like five years from now is too far ahead, but two years, probably not. And like I partner with a resource manager here. And so that's what we do together is look at the quarterly forecast, even looking at the year ahead, what's coming down, and then looking at our talent force internally. Who do we absolutely need in the future? Who can we grow? And we never overhire in the sense of, oops, we overhired. Now we have to do a mass layoff. We've been lucky not to do that, but it's about that just-in-time hiring model, which I love and I don't, but it it does save the company in the long run because everybody wants more people. Everybody at any company says, I need more help. I'm so swamped. I would love to hire 10 more people. But eventually, do you need those 10 people anymore or are you just going to have to lay them off? You have to be very smart about what's coming down the pipeline in terms of work. On that note, did you see the video of her name is Brittany, I forget her last name, getting fired from Cloudflare? What's your thoughts around that video? That was extremely 
brave of her, I would say. I don't know if I personally would do that. I also wasn't surprised. I've seen a ton of videos from TikTok on yeah. uh, people that are recording their internal meetings and outing their teammates for behaviors. So it adds an interesting perspective for HR practitioners and, and recruiters as well of, okay, so if you are having these termination meetings or these layoff meetings, like go in with the thought of this person could be recording me and having your ducks in a row. I think from Brittany's perspective, I would be interested to understand what she wanted to gain out of that. And maybe was it just education on she felt wrongfully dismissed um, and she wanted to get everything cleared up? I, I'm not too sure, but it was very controversial. I saw comments saying, how dare she? That's very unprofessional. I also saw comments on the other end where it was like, go Brittany. Like, yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting to me. But again, I'm not surprised. There's more and more out there. Everybody is recording everything. And you just got to be so careful about the risks from both Britney's side and from the organization. So what's the fallout from both of their brands too? Now you're thinking about the brand. Now when Britney, let's say yeah. she comes to apply, well, are we going to be afraid now? Because if we do something wrong, she's going to record us? Like, I don't know. That's a really good point. And I think she's getting her 15 seconds of fame. I've seen her on a ton of podcasts and, and different interviews. She still hasn't found a job. So the challenge is maybe right now this is going to give her some clout. But five years from now, when someone tries to hire her and first thing that pops up when they put their name in Google is this video, it's yeah. not going to be great for her. So I get why she did it, but also... I don't know, like, I, and I know the sales process and the cycle, but you've been there four and a half months. You haven't sold anything. And I know there's discussion, like it takes four or five months to sell something there. But on the flip side of it, I'm not surprised that it happened, but I'll tell you, the HR team really screwed up. The leader of that person 100%. should be on the call. Wasn't even there. That was No, that's where they screwed up. And we'll see in five years, she might be a megastar on TikTok and she won't need a job, which is cool as well. Let's do it. So all good. Yeah. On that note, thank you so much, Yana, for joining me on this episode. It was tons of fun. It's always good to see you. Uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to find Deanna Brusso? Oh, LinkedIn, baby. That is where I live. Hit me up. I am going to promise to the listeners that I will work on more content, more videos. I really just, you know, I need to come alive again. Stay tuned. Follow me for some more tips and tricks and laughs because that's what it's about. This was a lot of fun. We have to do it again. So I'm just going to ask Shelly to go on more vacations or work trips or whatever the hell she's doing. For the audience, I really appreciate you listening. For the folks in Calgary, the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group event, February 22nd. I think we just sold all the tickets. I'll be the speaker. Aside from that, have a great day. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, 
It's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com, mention the Recruitment Flex, and get 10% off annual plans. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.